Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. From beautiful Orlando, Florida, this is Safety Wars Live for Friday, September 29th, 2023. So I have uh, this program pre-recorded, so uh, towards the end... We're just going to put on, put in a repeat broadcast uh, after I'm done with what I'm saying uh, to fill in the rest of the hour, especially if you are on safetyfm.com uh, and it's one of the other platforms that Safety FM broadcasts live. So what do we have here? Uh, it's the last night or the last day, weekday, of Disaster Preparation Month. 2023 uh every program just about this month except for like one or two of them uh had to do with disaster preparation and i've gotten such good feedback from uh so many people that we're gonna make this a regular thing like uh all year round with as things come up because there's so much in there and you get i don't know september was a rough month for everybody here uh over here on the uh safety wars side of things with schedule and we couldn't be on every day that sort of thing uh, so we're going to continue this on and on and on uh, and i'm going to start with my conclusion here and for those of folk because most of our, our folks like to listen to the opening monologue and then you know go down and listen to the rest of the program later on i'd like to get the really important stuff out first I mentioned this before. A couple of years ago, I came out with a book on nuclear terrorism, and I'm thinking about redoing that book. They're at least releasing the information. Uh, originally, it was written in 2008. Uh, I was on a project where I got the night. I had like the night shift, and no, and no long breaks. Three or four people there, and I decided, hey, I'm gonna. Start putting together some training materials for the radiation section of the HAZWAFR class, the Hazardous Waste Site Operations and Emergency Response. And what we ended up doing, hold on, what we ended up doing was, I said, this could be a book. So eventually in 2012, I published it uh, with things, you know, with everything going on there. And I sold a couple hundred copies. It's not that it did horrible, it did better than I thought. But better than most people thought. But I would do it differently today, a lot differently. Especially now that we have a platform here on Safety FM and on one of the many platforms we're on here. Anyway, we've had a lot of stuff happen here in the last couple of years. People are at each other's throats, and it's not a good thing. And this was what I wrote in 2008, uh, or two, yeah, I think 2012, maybe, uh, here. We have these economic, uh, let's see, 
It's likely that the contents of this book, the book that I was just telling you, will cause mixed feelings ranging from denial and disillusionment to my hope, empowerment. I hope that I've inspired empowerment, not only in disaster management, but in all aspects of your own life. Past three years have been rough on the nation. Again, I mean the last, right, here. Uh, as is today, I could say that. Today, it's been rough. Right. So, again, from 2008, we have economic problems uh, and disillusionment with the political situation, politicians and political parties, and the rise of radical groups and other challenges. Insights that were once called conspiracy theories have now, now been found to be facts and mainstream because researchers and government whistleblowers go and they've been releasing information. It started, I think, with WikiLeaks uh, back in the early 2010s and Julian Assange, and that's, that hasn't been uh, uh, sorted out yet. And all different types of stuff came on here. Uh, with the pandemic, all different weird relationships. Will we ever get down to the bottom of everything? I don't know, but does it really matter that we get to the bottom of everything with the pandemic at this point? It's tearing us apart here. Uh, but I no, that's not something that we can always worry about, right? We don't, we can't do anything with what law enforcement does, politicians. I mean, when we have such low voting rates in the United States, as opposed to some of the other countries, it's very difficult to get people to change. So one of the solutions is the ballot box, but we don't really exercise that in the United States. And we have the deep state, what they call, or everyday the government activities so is along the same lines that they're, they're not going to change. Um, politicians change. People who are embedded, the appointees and everything else. I, I know I had some conversations this week on regulators with some uh, folks at the uh, conference, the Conklin conference, which we're going to talk about. And they're, you know... Uh, that a lot of this stuff on human organizational performance is new to them, just like it is new to me and everybody else. And there is some resistance against that inside government, and whether it's the state agencies, the uh, uh, safety agencies, environmental agencies, what have you, all up and down. So uh, I can't do anything about what the politicians or any of these other people are doing. I can do what I, I can handle what I can do. I can try to control my emotions. And what we learned this week, one of the things is that emotions are biochemical, extremely difficult to control. That's why when you tell people to calm down, normally it does not work for them. Now, you're not going to be successful. So worry about what you're going to do. Worry about your own mindset, how you think. You gotta change your mindset here. We've gone from this, well, you know what, we gotta manage things and manage hazards and manage things in our lives, uh, get along with people to, I can't trust anybody. Right? That's part of leadership is optimism, and we're talking optimism not only, hey, we're looking good for the future, but also optimistic about your fellow uh, your fellow employee, for your fellow coworker, family member, neighbor what have you. Uh, what can you do? A lot of things you could do. 
out there. You can become a disaster preparation expert. Don't go off the deep end here. Be, be that go-to person in your community that knows about disasters, that's trained. Even if you cannot trust anybody in your neighborhood because of their, hey, we have neighborhood issues, we have people we don't, you know, may not be able to share, but maybe if there is an emergency or disaster, you can help if possible. It's about community, creating connections, getting along, empathy. Don't have to agree with everybody, but you need to have empathy, forgiveness. All of that stuff that goes in there. You could empower yourself, uh, expand your own capabilities, maybe put things on social media, maybe not put things on social media, maybe refer people to different things. I want to end with this. How are we treating our fellow human beings, good or bad? I pause for a reason for you to think about this. That's a question you need to ask. When we're in our interactions, are we leading to better understanding of each other, better context to our situations, harmony? Or are we doing more discord? Are you being part of the problem or part of the solution with this? Right? You can't uh, change what the other person does. You can change what you do. You can try to empower, inspire, and educate people. And that's what I hope to continue to do here over the next year until we hit our next disaster uh, preparation month. September 2024, we'll figure out what the theme is then. This month, the theme was taking care of the elderly. Now, for older people, uh... What, now, what what are their needs? Because it's not the same as a younger person, obviously. And let's remember, all of this does not have to happen all at once. This could have, have is an ongoing process. Disaster preparation is an ongoing process. Could take many, many, many years uh, for that, a lifetime. But what are you doing? You're building capacity into your system. That's what you're doing. That's what, what all this is. You're building capacity. You're building safety, meaning capacity, and resilience, meaning your ability to do stuff, to adapt, to rise in the moment, to protect. That's what we're doing here. We're building capacity. And anything that you do to prepare for disaster will include the right your capacity, your capability. Today in New York City, there were massive floods. I was talking to a couple of colleagues. They had to ended up having to cancel work in uh, Brooklyn because their job site got flooded out. There was a threat of a massive, really massive flood at one of them. That's all I got for disaster uh, preparation month. We'll just continue doing this. This week I spent in Orlando. Uh, no, I was at the Conklin Conference. They had, we were talking about human organizational performance. Uh, that was Todd Conklin's gig the first day, but we all talked about it all through the uh, day. 
Jennifer Long uh, talked about accountability. Andrea Baker and Bob Edwards, they were teamed up to, to give a great presentation on learning teams. New way of doing things. Rather than adversarial, it's we're, we all get along to try to protect those organizations. We try to put things in context, understand things. Uh, it's along the lines of, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, it was a little bit triggering for me because I worked with someone who did this at a uh, uh, oil facility in New Jersey. I don't like what's going on here, so I want everybody to take two days off and think about it. You're all not to be here tomorrow, and we're going to think about it. And it doesn't really get you the solution to what you're do what 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 actually happened during an incident, what's happening going on with the company. The other thing is, uh, one of the others, we're going to fire you. You you violate this rule, we're going to fire you. Well, why don't you figure out why that rule is being violated? Is it the uh, employees saying saying? Leave you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm not gonna do. It. Or is it like something else? Can it be fixed? Maybe it has nothing to do. That rule violation has nothing to do with the rule. It's just the way work gets done. Um. So and then we finish off with Mark Yester, who had fantastic stories in his career with the National Park Service but also some of the stuff afterwards on uh, uh, accidents. And uh, he was uh, one of those guys at Yellowstone, not Yellowstone, from the Grand Canyon, who was in uh, a park ranger there, and he actually did emergency response for them, or emergency rescue, things of that nature. Really interesting stuff. And how does all of this apply to what we're doing here? Uh, now, uh, Obviously, uh, this was the first, the second conference that Todd has had in the last five years. Now, COVID fouled things up. Uh, they had one earlier this year in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, then this one was in Orlando, Florida. And uh, they're planning on a uh, another uh, event sometime next year. Uh, but things happen, things change. That may happen, that may not happen. But I'm going to refer everybody to go over to... Uh, the uh, pre-accident investigation podcast and all the other programs on Safety FM, there's like 18 something, where we talk about all this type of human organizational performance. Uh, there's no substitute for in-person training. That's what I learned this week. Where I've read most of the books, spoken to people, had a couple of people on this program, were on other people's programs. We talked about human organizational performance. But there's nothing like no, I've taken the, the online stuff, and it, there's nothing like going in there and interacting with somebody, interacting with other people. You get to learn things. And, uh, no, I'll, everything, one of the things is I found out I have to go and I have to rethink what I am doing in my professional life with how do I integrate all this information that I've gotten. And this is like the first time in five years I've ever gotten any, learned anything here at this stuff. Usually it's, you know, you take a fall protection course. They're good courses. Well, you know, uh, this is new equipment. This is what you face in a fall. This is some of the physiology. The, and uh, Okay, that's all great. That's good. And, uh, no, I pass it along. Uh, you know, 
But this was about ideas. New ways of thinking about the world around you, your working environment. And if you really want to go out there, is it changes the way you treat other people. Maybe you'll be a little bit more empathetic and get to that place that we talked about during the earlier part of my uh, monologue here on getting along with everybody, on harmony, societal harmony. So maybe we don't have more social upheaval. And I'm going to be looking into that October 4th situation. Someone had forwarded me some information uh, here via text. Hey, what do you think about October 4th? And uh, a couple of people said, hey, you should be talking about October 4th. I believe that's the uh, emergency alert system test day, and there's some, every time they come up with this emergency alert system uh, stuff, uh, no, or something like it, like we have drills, we have massive drills, and they have, the, everybody goes haywire. So I'm going to talk, uh, look a little bit more into it. I can't really comment on it, other than saying every time that these things come up, we get all this conspiracy theory, and this, and that, and, and you know, it's, it's crazy. Crazy uh, out there. Uh, but, you know, we're going to look into it. We'll see what it is. We're going to go uh, into the OSHA news releases uh, today. So, uh, like I said, uh, we're going to do this for about 15 minutes. And then uh, we're going to go to a pre-recorded program for that. So don't be confused if you're on Safety FM. Department of Labor cites Irvington contractor who exposed roofing workers to fall dangers and other hazards at a Hasbrook Heights worksite. This is out of Division Two in New Jersey, Irvington, New Jersey. A uh, federal workplace safety inspectors have cited an Irvington contractor who exposed employees to potentially deadly falls by allowing them to do roofing work atop a two-story home in Bergen County without required fall protection equipment in March. This fast March. So uh, what do we have? We have one willful and three serious violations uh, assessed at 77684 Now, what I'm, uh, what I, I'm not going to, obviously, I'm not going to mention the name of the company. That's not our policy here. I, I let it slip out sometimes. I'm not going to lie. And everything here could be litigated, uh, vacated, uh, reduced uh, down, right, to whatever. And, uh, what you know, negotiate, all this stuff goes in there. And I would suggest that you have legal representation before you start going into the, and uh, in, in with OSHA. A lot of people think, oh, well, I can handle this myself. Well, when you're dealing with all this stuff here, it probably, would, I'd advise you to get a qualified attorney dealing with this that deals with this all the time. Uh, this week I was talking to people with horror stories. Oh yeah, my boss, uh, he can handle it. All this stuff. And then this wasn't part of the class from the other conversations like breaking lunch. My boss thought that we could handle this. Well, guess what? Uh, OSHA was back a year later with repeat and uh, violations to stuff that probably should have been contested in the first place. Right? This is one of the things with the practice and learning teams where OSHA shows up uh, post-incident for non-fatality type of situation, but it was an incident, and they had a learning team already done, uh, were able to produce documentation. Guess what happened? OSHA said, oh, great, you already handled it. Thanks. 
and left because they're like that's not a a place of employment that we should really be looking at and giving uh, problems to because they're doing trying to do the right thing here. Citation one, item one, and this is back to the roofer. Type of violation serious. Uh, general duty clause violation. Now here we go. Uh, employees riding in the rear of a cargo van were exposed to impact hazards from f sitting unrestrained on an unauthorized passenger seat and exposed to shut by hazards from unsecured equipment and tools on or about 3123. Uh, the, the unauthorized, unauthorized thing. That sounds to me, uh, among other methods, one feasible and acceptable method to correct the hazard is to comply with the vehicle's operating manual. Do not let anyone ride where a safety belt cannot be worn. Do not allow passengers to ride in any area of the vehicle that is not equipped with seats and safety belts. My, my thing is that they probably had a, uh, sitting on a five-gallon bucket or an old chair or maybe on the floor uh, with that. Citation on item two, that was $4,465. And uh, next one is uh, citation one item two. This is no hard hats, uh, $6,250. How much does a standard hard hat cost type one? Not much. A hell of a lot less than $6,200. Uh, and these are all proposed fines here. Uh, citation on item three. And the uh, ladders are set up uh, improperly where you have to have three foot or more above the landing surface on an extension ladder, right? So uh, they, uh, no, three feet or above it has got to be secured. Got so $4,465. And the last one, Willful Serious. For $62,504, you can tell this is a small company because if it was not, this would probably be the maximum $157,000 here. Uh, no fall protection on six feet or above. All of this easily fixed, easily abated, easily what have you. Here we have one out of Key Largo uh, uh, Marine. Uh, there's a Key Largo Marine Construction Company out of Key Largo, Florida. Uh, proposed fines and penalties, 92-191. So uh, this could be either, let's see what kind of, uh, if they did it under the construction standard or another standard here. Construction, because it's marine construction, OSHA, pardon me, OSHA will cite you based on what kind of work you're doing, whether it's a construction, construction, shipyard, shipyard, general industry, general industry, etc., etc. Not based on where you are. So I had this uh, conversation with a customer last week. Hey, Jim, I'm interested in that mar maritime training, marine training. Well, really, it's 1919. Uh, 1970 1915 training all right uh, you can look that up and it really isn't anything different than construction uh, uh, outreach training what's um, with a maritime no, bent on it they're really not going to be learning anything on that so uh, that's basically it uh, 29 CFR 1926 106 no life jackets 
almost $11,000. Citation 1, item 1B, unguarded decks of uh, barges without life jackets. Right, nothing on there, zero. Citation 1, item 2, a uh, life-saving skiff was not immediately available at locations where employees were working o over adjacent to water. That's almost 11000 And employer did not comply with operational functions of equipment. What is that? On, uh, on or about, blah, 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 employees were exposed to drowning, struck by, and caught fishing hazards. While the employer failed to comply with the crane manufacturer's procedures when using a boon with a length superior of 40 feet without a retractable high gantry fully extended to provide stability and support on uh, the load and capacity of the boom, that's 11,000. It sounds like they had a crane on a barge uh, with this. Citation 1, item 4. They exceeded the... Uh, 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 the equipment uh, operated, right, this in this case, the crane was overloaded and it threatened employees with drowning, struck by covering the hazards. Uh, 15,625. Citation 1, item 5. Uh, the operator was not trained formally. $11,000. Citation 1, item 6. Uh, the employee was not in a personal platform or Mosin's share. An employee was exposed to fall and drowning hazards while riding the load that was attached to the bottom of the crane during pile driving operations, $11,000. Citation 1, item 7, serious. The employer did not erect and maintain control lines, warning lines, railings, or similar barriers to mark the boundaries of the hazards. Uh, $10,938. Citation 1, item 8, physical attachment, corralling, rail system, and centerline cable system did not meet the requirements of options 1 through 4 in this section. Right? Uh, uh, employees exposed to drowning, struck by, and caught between hazards while a crawler crane on a barge was not physically attached to it. So they just had this crane on the barge without being physically secure. Another 11000 for a grand total of $92,191. Uh, we'll save that with Here, let's pick out a story here. We don't need that. We won't cover that. Contractor enters into deferred prosecution agreement and agrees to pay $370,000 for willful safety failures in employees' 2019 fall, fatal fall in St. Joseph's. So this is out of Kansas City, Missouri. Under uh, the deferred prosecution agreement, this is from a uh, contractor. Uh, that, and they uh, entered into a deferred prosecution agreement and agreed to pay $370,000 plus in criminal and civil penalties to avoid federal prosecution on one count of ignoring federal safety regulations that resulted in a worker fatality in 2019. Now, this, is, this doesn't happen very often here uh, 
where OSHA made a criminal referral uh, here. That uh, I mean, it happens, but it's uh, not very often here, like 10 times a year. Under the Deferred Prosecution Agreement filed in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Missouri, the company must pay a monetary penalty to the U.S. Treasury of $175,000 and an OSHA penalty of $195,000. The resolution of this case sends a strong message that OSHA will hold employers accountable for willful violations of federal safety regulations that seriously or fatally injure the workers. Explain OSHA Regional Administrator Billy Kaiser in Kansas City, Missouri. Each year, too many workers lose their lives and falls. The leading cause of workplace deaths in the construction industry because employers fail to provide fall protection. And this is a tanky, what we call tankies in the business, meaning tank contractors. They build above ground storage tanks. OSHA, the U.S. Department of Labor fines Augusta uh, battery manufacturer, that's Augusta, Georgia, uh, a manufacturer of uh, exposing employees to unsafe lead levels and other hazards. I have the citation right here. Citation one, item one, no respirators. Not, right? No uh, respirators were not cleaned and disinfected. 15,625. Citation 1, item 2. Uh, this is a lead standard. By the way, we do have a video for lead training for sale. You could buy it here. Uh, I'm going to start pushing it more. Employees are exposed to lead at concentrations greater than 50 micrograms per cubic meter of air average over an eight-hour period, which means that somebody, probably OSHA, did air monitoring. Right on this. Again, I, my thinking is is that they thought they could handle this internally, right? And they couldn't. Eleven thousand one sixty-two. Citation two, item one, a repeat. And uh, boom, boom, boom. again, the employees were exposed to uh, uh, lead. Without, and the employee knew it above the PEL, the employers knew it, and did not implement engineering and work practice controls, including administrative controls. And total thing, that fine for that was $111,000. Citation to item two, uh, housekeeping for lead. That's a repeat, 22320 Again, that's what it is. So we'll we'll be back on the third, on the second. We'll be talking about October the fourth. We may uh, get a broadcast in this weekend. I don't know. Uh, we are having uh, meetings here in uh, uh, Saturday uh, tomorrow, also with uh, stuff, and we're taking care of business here. So for Safety Wars, this is Jim Pozel, and you're going to have a repeat. Uh, program here coming up next. Good night, everybody. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM.
The following program is rated for mature audiences and may contain adult language, adult situations, and frank safety discussions. The names and certain details have been changed to protect the safe and the unsafe. But believe me, every item in here is true. Here we are out in Colorado. We're recording this podcast. I wanted to introduce you to a member of our team, Katie McGrogan. She comes to us from uh, the firefighting industry, if that is an industry, and also as an EMT. We were fortunate enough to hire her about a year and a half ago. And uh, why don't you say hello, Katie? Hi, everyone. So Katie has had a couple of questions over the last month or so, and this has been an ongoing topic of, you know, in the safety industry. And we wanted to talk about it. what's your main uh issue that you deal with that on the jobs it seems well i guess it would have to do with the people sometimes the leadership on sites they're uh they're a little bit deceptive and devious and they have this great charismatic personality and they're people pleasers but there's something underneath that just isn't truthful what would you call that type of person a psychopath so by special request today on safety wars psychopaths in the workplace let me start out with a little disclaimer here I'm not a psychologist, I don't play one on TV or the radio, I'm just a guy on the internet that has been a magnet for psychopaths and has to deal with them for his entire life. Diagnosing and treating psychopathy takes time and treatment by professionals. If you think you are one, get help. If you think you've been victimized by them, then you definitely probably need help. First of all, let's define psychopathy or sociopathy. It is defined by the NIH as a neuropsychiatric disorder marked by deficient emotional responses, lack of empathy, and poor behavioral controls, commonly resulting in persistent antisocial deviance and criminal behavior in some cases. Many years ago, I got out of a work situation where the people in charge probably met all of these definitions, at least at work. About two weeks after I got out of that situation, I was listening to John Batchelor, a radio talk show host out of New York City one night. He was interviewing Dr. Hare, a noted psychiatrist and developer of the Hare's List of Psychopathic Indicators. He listed some of the major attributes of psychopaths, and sure enough, those are often the types of people that I had to get involved with in my career. Old school project managers in construction and environmental management were always rampantly psychopathic, in my opinion, going back and looking back 20 years later. It was accepted. It was incentivized. Unlike today, we have a better understanding today of these individuals, and companies are better able to usually manage them, especially the larger ones. The question is, what's a good indicator of a psychopath? Here's a good one for you. When there is a catastrophic injury, loss, or a fatality, and the person says, shit happens, or it was just their time. They give what we used to call crocodile tears, and then a week or two later, we're back to business as usual. I recently heard a good one. I don't give a shit if the person takes a header off the bridge. I need to get the job done, on time and within budget. First of all, why do companies hire psychopaths? There's a lot of answers. Personal affiliation, family members, any of those. But an easy answer is they get the job done. Often the big producers in a company or organization are psychopaths, especially if a company is looking at short-term profits. Often they leave the company or the project they are working on well before it ends, or before negative consequences come to complete fruition. So your companies with high turnover rates may be a good environment for the psychopaths to flourish. And when I see a company with high turnaround, I know that there's usually an issue there. Some of the attributes that make them desirable. 
During job interviews, they appear to be easygoing, friendly, and easy to get along with. They have a superficial charm. Basically, all the positive traits that you're looking for, they seem to have because they're the master manipulators. Why are they promoted in an organization? They're normally cool under pressure because they have very little empathy. They are polished. They dress well. They have charm. They are able to make snap decisions, period. They don't worry about emotional consequences. They're able to get done, get those decisions made. Um, so the lack of empathy seems to coincide with some of these positive, and I had to use air quotes, attributes. Often they know how to manipulate a system and bully people, sometimes without the person to actually know that they're being bullied. See our previous episode on gaslighting in episode 8. They create confusion to advance themselves. What do we call them? The problem, the reaction, and the solution. They identify the problem, control the response, and of course, they have all the solutions. They are able to impress people, especially those in positions of power. So they're the ones who always make the meetings, who always are visible, that are there, they, oh, uh, and they get to know everybody, they get to know the management. While you're in the field, doing what you're doing in the field, they're in the office, doing what they do in the office, creating networks, partnerships, and everything else. They're also the ones that might might be psychopaths. That's, in my experience, where they uh, where they exist, right? How do we identify them, right? Here's some more attributes. Again, some of these are from Dr. Hare, some of them are not, right? They have a high estimation of themselves, right? So one of the things is often, and this is my experience, they are smarter than you, and they let you know. And they'll always remind you. The implication is that you are not. Now you're able to be manipulated. You're put into a situation being manipulated. Pathological lying. We're not going to lie over everything. We're not even talking the white lies. We're talking lying when they don't even need to lie. They're just lying. right? The lack of remorse or guilt for anything. Manipulativeness. Lack of empathy. right? They're emotionally not mature. My favorite. The parasitic lifestyle. This is back from my political activism days. These individuals typically own nothing, have no credit, like you run a credit score on them, it's like 300, right? They have multiple bankruptcies through, and people go bankrupt all the time. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about multiple bankruptcies for not really valid reasons, right? They don't pay their income taxes or any other taxes, work off the books and for cash. All of those things are parasitic lifestyles, in a lot of cases when it's taken to the extreme. Failure to accept responsibility for their own actions, right? That's number seven. They often manipulate situations that you should take the blame for their mistakes. So we're going to blame somebody else. We're going to blame the guy who's off that day, right? Again, go back to the whole thing with pushback that safety professionals uh, get. So a good one is you're on vacation. A problem arises, they could wait till you get back from vacation, but they call you on vacation to uh, fix it and blame you because you're out of the office. And then when you come back in, all of a sudden you have a mess on your hands. If someone does that, that's a pretty good indicator that what you're dealing with. This is the other thing. If you admit that you're at fault, then they say, well, look, he admitted to fault. Now it's deflecting blame away from them. And they use that to manipulate you so now you're in a situation where hey you oh, okay yeah i could have done that a little bit better now they use that as an amp they amplify it and that's used to manipulate you and make you look bad make themselves look good they're unable to set realistic long-term goals how do you identify this you 
if let's say you're a worker and this is your manager is a psychopath during your annual review or maybe uh, some other appropriate time say, hey where's this organization going and if they don't have good long-term goals that are even realistic they have no way of getting there right that might be an indicator that you have a problem here because managers often indicate to you that you should have long-term goals and your short-term goals well guess what the managers should also have that they should be able to communicate a vision for their organization if they don't have that that's a red flag and general irresponsibility are they irresponsible and everything they do they don't care no work ethic you name it they just general irresponsibility now we're into what we wanted to talk about what are we going to do about it documenting things might help but realize that in documenting things that's a distraction from everything else that you have to do so if the c-suite accepts them there's very little that you can do about it right very little some of the solutions are from amy morin from an inc that's inc.com article from april 2018. she has a couple of things on here right number one keep your emotions in check if you're dealing with a person who lacks empathy they're going to use that your empathy against you so you might have to be a little bit give up some of your empathy and be as cool as they are right but don't be intimidated number two one of the ways that a psychopath controls people in situations is to intimidate you you know so they give you a uh, uh, a problem or what have you right and they intimidate you with it you're going to do x y and z they give you what we used to call a shit sandwich and force you to eat it just be careful you don't do anything illegal because i tell you what if you trade pain for pain with these people one they have no empathy it ain't going to impact them however you lose a bit of yourself so trading pain for pain ain't gonna get you to where you need to be here and it's going to make you look bad right don't buy into their stories especially if they always paint themselves out to be the victim of things what kind of stories are they showing hey this is a story and this is how i overcame it and i'm gonna overcome it this way right that's if they're saying well i was the victim and this guy did this and this guy did this to me and woe is me they're looking for you to give them sympathy so then they could use it to manipulate you into the situation here's another one turn the conversation back on them use their flaws against them so ask questions they want to well how are we going to do this how would you handle it well those are two questions but you try to turn it back on them in a polite professional way last thing and this is becoming more and more popular because of covid opt for online communication before an in-person communication this way there's some type of a quote-unquote paper trail with that so what else can we do here right you don't want to lose part of yourself and drive yourself crazy with these folks right so for uh if you're in human resources go and look at hey at, look at this stuff you can look up some professional resources that are legal or maybe you could weed out some of these personalities um, see if they're going to fit into your organization if you don't hire them you don't have to deal with them however no you can't do anything illegal i'm not advocating doing anything illegal or immoral or unethical for uh, psychopathy to be a clinical diagnosis it needs to be addressed by a psychologist or psychiatrist now in my non-professional experience as a psychologist right i think we all have a little bit of psychopathy in us but when it becomes a problem right it has to be addressed so one one other parting point Conf confronting these folks you try to uh, confront them up front 
professionally, ethically, morally, legally up front versus letting things fester, and then you have an explosion. Because then at that point, when you explode and unload on them, then they're the victim. They will play the victim card, and now you're the aggressor. And things, again, are going to be turned around on you. So, if you recognize these trends in you, maybe you need to get counseling. But the other thing is, if you're a victim of a psychopath, you need to really get some kind of help out there. So if you're a victim, right, or suffering from any other emotional abuse, there is help out there. Two sources out there, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 or mentalhealth.gov. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support.